This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is Quincy Ameriqua of DC United. Hey, Quincy, what's going on? I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to, you know, uh, share a little bit of my uh, soccer journey with everybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's just uh, jump right into it. How how'd you get into playing soccer? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so my father is Nigerian. Yep. He was born and raised in Oweri, Nigeria. And over there, well, pretty much everywhere else other than America, soccer or football is the number one sport in the world. And when my dad came over here and had me, obviously that was the first sport I was introduced to and uh, the one that the two of us bonded most closely over mm-hmm. by going to play at the local Nigerian league every Saturday from like, maybe I was like three years old and uh, still go back there today. But that's kind of how I got introduced to the game and fell in love with it. Gotcha, gotcha. Now going through uh, high school, I'm sure you had like plenty of D1 offers. So what was your recruiting process like? Oh, that's that one's interesting. So I actually didn't have a lot of recruitment offers. Uh, and a big reason why, I'm sure we'll probably talk about it a little bit more later, but I started PerfectSoccerSkills.com was because my high school process, my recruiting process was one that I think is typical of most players, mm-hmm. but is the reason why most players don't end up playing Division One or college soccer or eventually going pro. And the reason for that is, I just wasn't getting recruited. I didn't know college coaches had ever reached out to me. Um, and, you know, I was scoring goals in games and playing and doing what I thought would be necessary to play college soccer. And I wasn't getting any recruitment or any interest. So I just assumed that I must not be good enough to play. And uh, my plan was just to go to school to UC Berkeley, where I got in academically, and walk onto the track and field team because I was a pole vaulter in high school. And I had the pole vaulting record at my local high school. I did research and saw that. That the heights that guys were jumping, were hitting at, at Berkeley were within my range, so I figured I'd walk on there. It wasn't until the last game of the last tournament of my club soccer career that two college coaches happened to attend the game to watch the opposing team's players recruiting a year out. So I was a 16-year-old senior, so I was a young senior, and uh, both coaches had asked about me after that game and were asking where I was going to school and who was recruiting me and they both learned that night that no one had recruited me and that I was a senior and that I wasn't planning on playing college soccer. So it was in that night that I got seen, recruited, and offered a scholarship. So very lucky in the Mm -hmm. sense that it took so long before I was seen. But once I got to college and I played my four years, at, I ended up picking UC Davis. Mm-hmm. I played there four years at Division One collegiately. It was while I was there that I learned all the things that I should have been doing in high school that would have gotten me multiple scholarship offers and multiple interests from school. So it was through luck that I ended up getting recruited. But while I was in college, I learned all the things that I should have been doing to increase my chances of getting recruited. Gotcha, gotcha. Did you say it was a high school game that they found you or a club game? No, club. So oh, gotcha. uh, yeah, yeah. if I remember correctly, it was like a Nomads tournament down mm-hmm. in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, Nomads or like a, something. Yeah. I can't remember what they were, but we were like a Silver Elite team, mm-hmm. and we happened to make it far enough in the tournament that we played like a Premier League team at like 9 o'clock at night on a Sunday with like only, yeah, there's only two games. It's like the last games of it. It's basically like, yeah. We were a team that played together for a long time, and we had a lot of chemistry because we knew each other, mm-hmm. but we weren't a team of, you know, no one on my club team played Division One 
soccer on scholarship. And then no one I played with in college went pro. So I've always been with the misfits, which has fit me very well. Gotcha. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And uh, was this before, like, did you have, like, a highlight tape or no, like, on YouTube? Oh, no, in high school. Yeah, 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 high school. Yeah, YouTube didn't exist at that time. (laughs) Yeah. So it probably would have been a lot different now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you you go on my personal website, you can now see my soccer CV. I've got Uh, highlight tapes, statistical breakdowns, analysis. I mean, I learned learned all the things that if I had, I would have definitely been mm -hmm. seen and recruited sooner. But I think early in my process, like a lot of the resources and the tools and the information available to kids today wasn't available then. So it was through getting lucky, mm-hmm. self-reflecting and realizing that I was lucky that I took self-initiative to make sure that I wouldn't ever be lucky again. I would always be in control of what I can control and willing to do the work necessary to reach my goals. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And yeah, and I brought up the YouTube thing because I actually was a substitute teacher at one point after college. And uh, this kid had 54 goals in two seasons. He had no offers. And I was like, that's crazy and then so I, I literally just made him a highlight tape and then all of a sudden he was getting all these offers so that's why i pretty much asked that question oh yep and i mean and it, it makes a lot of sense yeah. like a lot of players don't understand the business side of the game and yeah. marketing and marketability and how important that that piece is into getting seen mm-hmm. i mean obviously you can be the best player but if no one ever sees you it's almost pointless because you could be the worst player, but if everyone sees you, you might end up getting opportunities. So my goal is to give the information and set forth a process that makes sure you're doing both to the level you need to be so that when you're seen, you're prepared for the level you're striving for. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think we're seeing a lot of the athlete entrepreneurs like on the come up right now. And I'm sure you know that because you're one of them and we'll be discussing that stuff later. But uh, and what 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 was your overall experience like at UC Davis? Oh, I had a great experience. I loved my time at UC Davis. Like I made a lot of friends just from my classes and just like school yeah. from the school perspective, and then a lot of a lot of great friends on the team perspective. So both on and off the field. I mean, college was probably like one of the best experiences I could ever expect to have with the characters of individuals I met, the friendships and relationships I built and just, you know, the fun and stupid things that you got into, you know, when you're young. Yeah, man, college was a great time. We had a great team of players, of individuals who were just as stubborn as me in the sense of wanting to win every game. Mm -hmm. Like, we were willing to fight and work for each other like a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And we just found a way to win. That was kind of our mantra. That was our philosophy. And we didn't really care who you were or how good you were supposed to be. We were going to figure out and find a way to beat you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. College is one of those things where they always say, like, it's the best four years of your life. And I didn't believe it until I saw it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> it's like, like an adult. You're not even an adult, but, like, you're almost as though it's like it's a, being an adult with zero responsibilities. It's the yeah. best of both worlds. Yeah, it's like a four-year vacation. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and uh, what about, was there a time at UC Davis that you knew you were going to go pro or had a shot at the MLS? Oh, uh, while I was there, I was just there. I was focused on like building my businesses and my entrepreneurial things on the side and then yeah. school and soccer. 
and I never put any thought into pro or going pro or if I could play pro at all until maybe it was my senior year. That's crazy. Towards the end of my senior year. Maybe, I might, yeah, it might have been after my senior year, like my the, my last year was done. I remember Chris Paville, I think we were doing like a spring training or something. Yeah. I can't remember. We were like at training or something, and he was like, oh, we all know you're going pro. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to go pro. And that's the first time I'd ever even heard that and even thought of it. Right. I was like, oh, well, I guess going pro would be pretty cool. I'd be open to that. And then that's pretty much all I really thought about it. And then um, I got invited to the Combine. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go to the Combine. And then I ended up getting drafted to the Earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And then when I got drafted, I was actually in, like, my Bio 104 lab. And my phone started, like, blowing up with text. <laughs> congratulations, congratulations. And I was like, what happened? And they're like, oh, you got drafted by the San Jose Earthquakes. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But what's <laughs> getting drafted mean? You know what I mean? So I was like, I don't know what that means. So then I got on, like, Wikipedia, and I looked up the – coach's name at the time Frank Gallup and the general manager John Doyle and I was like okay what's a general manager what's he do what's what's all that and then yeah I just jumped all in and said okay well if I'm gonna do this I better learn everything about it and I want to be the best of my ability and I want to win so I want to win on and off the field so I'm gonna learn this business I'm gonna learn what it takes and I'm gonna do what's necessary you know 11 years later here we are yeah that's that's crazy And what was it like stepping on the pitch for the first time with the San Jose Earthquake? Was that 2009, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) See, there you go. Like, you're going to get me with a whole bunch of stuff because because my focus wasn't playing pro. I don't have the same types of memories that most pro players have when speaking to them, you know? Like, most of my friends can remember the first time they stepped on the pitch. They can remember their first game and, like, what they were thinking and how they felt and stuff. I don't. I just... I just showed up and played, and I was focused on learning what I needed to do to stick around and understand the game the way that the people around me looked at the game. So maybe, like, when I came to the pro level, there were things that they were expecting me to do that I'd never seen or understood or saw before. So, like, for instance, 5v2 is a very popular game, Mm -hmm. and I never saw 5v2 until I went pro. But, like, that was the first time I ever saw that game. And the guys loved it, and we played it every single day. And I was horrible at it, right? <laughs> like, I was, I was so bad at it. And I realized, like, oh, you have to be good at this. Otherwise, they don't respect you, and they don't think that you can play, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, the things I was focused on getting good at and working on were things that the players there had always been doing for a long time, so they didn't think about it. Yeah, but the things that I was good at were things that, they were eventually going to face at the professional level, but they weren't prepared for it because they had always been the highly touted best player on the field. So most of those guys never had to deal with not playing. You know, I dealt with that before. A lot of those guys had never had a like career ending or should have been a career ending injury. I'd broken my femur at 12 years old and was in a cast for over a year, you know? So like at the time I didn't realize that those experiences would serve me so well at this level, but I was looking at the game and focused on things that other people weren't focused on. And at the time, I couldn't understand why they couldn't see what I was saying at that time because I also couldn't see what they were saying because a lot of the things that they did, the trainings they did, the coaching they had, the philosophies they had learned from a younger age, I never learned those things. Mm-hmm. So when I showed up, I was probably was just, I don't even know what I was to them. You know, they were just like, who is this? And he plays super awkwardly, like, but it's effective at times and there's something about it which is why people kept me around 
And then when I understood and learned that, I then learned the aspects of the game that I didn't get taught at a young age. So then I had to do extra things to figure those parts of my game out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, adapt or die. That's why I really talk about the MSL, the Mental Strength League, and uh, developing that out over the years. And that's the reason why I was able to adjust and, and grow and, you know, stick around. Gotcha. That's, yeah, it's a crazy story. Tell me you, you remember your first goal, though, right? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I remember my first goal because in practice I saw Chris Wondolowski do, like, this little dink chip over the goalie at mm-hmm. practice one day, and I'd never seen that before, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And then in the game, we're, the only reason I know it's against FC Dallas is because I've seen the, I've watched the highlight. So what I remember, I just remember – doing what I saw Wando do in practice in the game and then I that was my first goal and I scored it. I was like, oh, okay. I can pick <laughs> up things and learn from the players around me and I'll integrate that into my game. Because up to that point, like I said, none of the players I played with at youth soccer mm-hmm. played college division one soccer. Yeah. Right? So I wasn't practicing every day with highly touted top players. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of stuff I never saw. And I wasn't watching soccer on TV because I, I wasn't a fan of... I was a fan of playing, but I wasn't a fan of, like, watching on TV. Yeah. I was doing a bunch of activities. I was, you know, working on businesses and doing stuff like that. So I just enjoyed playing. So I've always learned from the players around me. So it's kind of playing up to the level of your competition, right? Mm-hmm. So then if we made it far enough in a tournament, maybe once every two or three months, we'd make it far enough in a tournament to play against some kids who probably were going to go play at a Division One level, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when I get to test myself. So I wouldn't see too much. I couldn't pick up a whole lot. But then when I get to the pro level, now I'm seeing, like, guys who are extremely hyper-specialized at one particular thing, like, really good at certain things. And I can go, like, oh, I like those aspects of their game, or I like that moment, I like that movement, I like that idea. So I start adopting those and start implementing them into my game. So that I distinctly remember my first goal because I distinctly remember why I scored my first goal and where I learned that. I don't necessarily remember the whole action of the game aside mm-hmm. from, like, watching the highlight. So I, yeah, yeah. I remember how I learned it, much more clearly than actually doing it. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, t- in 2010, you were traded to the Colorado Rapids, which you guys eventually won the MLS Cup. So what, what was it like winning the MLS Cup? Oh, man, yeah. So the first thing was like, oh, okay, I got traded. Okay, yeah. what's that mean, right? Like, what, yeah. do, what, is that, like, what does that actually mean? Like, what do I have to do? What are my obligations? What are my responsibilities? How does this work? So then it was like, okay really getting involved with the C- uh, with understanding the CBA, the union, how that all works, and the entire process. And then joining the team, I lucked out in terms of, like, the team I joined. It was, like, a great group of guys. Like, four of my groomsmen or five of my groomsmen were teammates of mine that I met at, in Colorado gotcha. on the Rapids on that 2010 team. So it was just the perfect form of individual. That's also where I met Ross, uh, where we started Perfect Soccer. The idea came together on the, the recruiting blueprint book that we had written. Yeah, so that... The time in Colorado would almost be like if you got to do college for a second time, you know? It was just like, yeah, you're there with your boys. You all have chips on your shoulder. You want to win every day. You're grinding because you want to prove yourself. You're trying to earn your stripes. But then you're working hard every day to beat the veteran guys, you know, your Pablos, Mm -hmm. your Drew Moores, your Jeff Lorenowitz, 
uh, your Connor Casey, your Omar Cummings. Like, we had a really good squad. Brian Mullen, like, oh, man, Claudio Lopez, Jamie Smith, Jose Kamara, like, older guys. You want to beat them every day. Gary Smith was the coach at the time, and he would very much loved his veteran players. So it was always young versus old. So it was just competition every day, and I love competition. I just, you know, I, I love to compete, and I want to win. And so did the guys who were there at that time, the young guys. And we just fought every day. And it made us better. It made the veteran guys better. And I think that that's a huge reason why we went on to win an MLS Cup because of those young guys and the character and the personalities of those young guys and mm -hmm. just relentlessly every single day it was competition and no one wanted to lose and what it created was on the weekend you knew we weren't going to lose the game which is a really great place to be in mm -hmm. on a team side because your confidence your 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 understanding of your teammates role next to you like now it's not necessarily the the style of play i'd want to play and it definitely wasn't fun to be a young guy in those systems because you knew you weren't going to get your opportunity but having said that it was effective for executing gary's vision on what he felt would be necessary to create a, a team that could make the playoffs but i think it's how we interacted with each other during the year and how we pushed each other in the year that gave us the ability to make the run in the playoffs to win the championship. I think the championship comes down to like guys' willingness to work and fight for each other mm -hmm. and belief in the man next to you, um, especially in MLS. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I know after Colorado, then you had a short stint in Toronto, and then you went to Chicago Fire, so you were traded a couple of times. So I know you, you touched on it a little about being traded, but what's it like to just like, literally like pick up and move all your stuff like from city to a new city um it's hard for me to answer that because yeah. it's so normal to me now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the <laughs> sense that like uh it's just part of the job right it's like yeah it's part of if you're not the number one guy and you're not the most highly touted guy and you're not marketed by the league and you're not the number one guy like i said i've always been on a team of misfits i've always been the odd guy out in terms mm -hmm. of like awkward style but works really hard is effective, it creates havoc, it creates opportunities, but it doesn't look like how we want it to look. So it's just like, what do we, do we want it? Do we not want it, right? So it's yeah. just like, I've carved out kind of a brand for myself in the sense of, you know what I am and you know what you get, but it might not be exactly what you're looking for until you have no other options, which sounds really bad when you hear that out loud. But there's that role, that role needs to be played, and... I understand that role, and playing that role means you're used when you're used, and then you're thrown out when you're thrown out, and you're moved on. But what's most important is the relationships you build and how you treat people where you're at and your principles, because that is what people know you for and why other people will recommend you to the next place. Because many people may think, okay, you've been traded multiple times. There must be a problem there, right? Like. Yeah. Why are you getting sent to all these different places? There is a problem. The problem is they weren't expecting me to be as good as I was or create as much havoc as I do on the field, right? Like, they're thinking uh, you're going to be someone that we may or may not use off the bench sporadically from time to time, but every single day I'm competing in practice. I'm winning games. I'm working hard. When I get my opportunities, I'm creating chances for the guys around me. And now you're kind of going like, well, we weren't ever thinking of making you our number one. No, mm -hmm. so we're paying the number one a lot of money. We're not paying you very much money. So we need to trade you 
because we can't really give you an actual honest reason why you're not getting an opportunity here beyond the fact that like we're not doing poorly and you're a player that we only bring in when the team's doing poorly you know mm-hmm. so I understand why I've been able to stick around as long as I have and as my career has gone on longer and longer and more people understand who I am and how I play and my principles and my willingness to be a team player, I believe that people are willing to back me in terms of recommending that another team take me or bring me in, you know, because of those qualities. And yeah, I just, I understand that with that comes a lot of movement and being all over the place, which means I've just figured out how to quickly adapt to new environments and excel in those environments. Now that I've been doing it for over 10 years, Mm -hmm. I'm getting, like, ridiculously good at it. And I think it, it just catches people off guard because they're just like, I'm moving too fast, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. But it's necessary. If I didn't learn how to move fast and how to adapt and how to adjust and integrate into a system and provide value, if I didn't learn how to do that and how to do that quickly, I wouldn't be here, you know? So it's an adapt or die type of thing. Mm-hmm. And people have an idea of what they think I am and what I'm going to be able to do. And then I show up and it's way more than they were expecting, you know, like, I tore my ACL, LCL, bicep femoris, IT band, popsilides tendon in that game against Kansas City like two years ago. Everyone's thinking that, you know, that's career-ending injury. There's no way I'm coming back. That's maybe 18 months recovery time, and I'm back in seven months, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, people aren't, yeah, they're not prepared for that. They're thinking your career's over, and you won't, if you ever do come back, it won't be for a year and a half. And, you you know, you'll be 30 years old when it happens or 31, so there's no chance. It's over. Now, all of a sudden, you're back in seven months fighting for a spot. Like, they're not ready for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're good problems yeah. to have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know what we just talked about the trades, but what, what was it like getting traded back to uh, San Jose in 2015? It was interesting because when I was first with San Jose, we were at Buckshaw Stadium, okay. right? And yeah. our locker room was probably, I don't even know. 15 feet by 15 feet. I'm, I'm probably exaggerating, but it was pretty small, right? Yeah, yeah. And when I come back, we're at Avaya Stadium, you know, so the organization had grown up yeah. quite a bit from when I was there before, at least in the facilities, yeah, yeah. from the facilities perspective. And, you know, it was kind of a full circle thing. Mm-hmm. John Doyle was still the general manager when he had brought me back. And it, it was interesting to have conversations with him, you know, after several years of learning the league and understanding his role and job and responsibility and how that works. And then also getting to know and understand Dominic Kinnear, his style, how he liked to play and like what he expected of his players. You know, I think I surprised him, especially. I, I would say that John Doyle was the one who brought me back. Again, similar to a, hey, you know, his contract's up towards the end of the year. We're not doing so great this year. We need someone to step in and help Wando. What do we have to lose, you know? Yeah. And then I came in, and it, I'd be interested even if you talk to Don himself. I'm pr- pretty sure he would even agree, like, yeah, he wasn't really expecting much out of me. You know, he was like, okay, let's see what happens. But I feel like halfway through my time there, you know, within a month, I think how I play and how I approach the game very much aligns with, Dom's philosophy and, you know, the teams he likes to build. So he was a huge advocate for me, and I really appreciated his willingness to see the value in me and commit to me and want to build with me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, I, I got the leg injury into the um, the first year 
And in the time it took me to get back, like I said, I was trying to get back as quickly as possible. He ended up getting let go as the coach. They ended up changing over with the general manager and John Doyle. And, you know, the new regime came in. And, you know, that was an experience. Like, I learned a whole lot from my time there. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then what was it like, say, playing in Canada in the MLS versus, like, playing in the U.S. for the MLS? When I was in Canada the first time with Toronto, they had all the pieces they needed to be successful. They just didn't have the right philosophy in the sense that the American mentality and mindset is different than the Canadian mentality and mindset. Mm -hmm. And one where the American mindset will win out just in a pure, like, head-to-head so they had the facilities, they had the fans, they had the investment, the field, everything. They just didn't have an understanding of, of how to compete yeah. and win. But then by the second time I came around when I was with them, my second stint in, in Montreal, so I was in Toronto the first time in Montreal the second time around, you can tell that the Canadian teams have matured, they understand the league better, and they make moves in alignment with like what it takes to win, not necessarily what you want it to look like, mm-hmm. which is a, a huge, I think it's largely important. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people make the mistake of, some people say, I just want to be happy, mm-hmm. right? So they say, I just want to be happy. And then I can say, listen, to be happy, all you have to do is quit your job, work Uber part-time, you know, and chill and watch Netflix and go for walks every day. And you'll be <laughs> super, super happy, right? Yeah. But then they'll be like, no, I want to be happy, but I want to make six figures and I want to have a dream job and I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to start a business that changes people's lives, right? Yeah. And I'll go like, to do that, you're going to have to spend a lot of time being unhappy because you're going to have to do a lot of things you don't necessarily want to do to accomplish that goal, right? So like, Mm-hmm. Is it that you want to be happy or is it that you want it to look a certain way and be happy? And most people want it to look a certain way and to be happy. And I'm going like, okay, or to be rich. Oh, I want to have a lot of money. Okay, what are you willing to do to have a lot of money? Well, I want to watch Netflix all day. I want to study what I want to study. I want to hang out with my friends and I want to just like chill. And I go <laughs> like, okay, well, you can't do that and make a whole lot of money. You know, if you figure out a way to do that, let me know. I'll invest with you. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going like, the idea of like, not understanding that it won't look how you want it to look. So what is important is understanding what it is that you actually want. And more importantly, what you're willing or not willing to do to make it happen. I think that's extremely important. And it's a subtle thing. And because it's subtle, most people might not think it's that big of a deal, but it's, really that's a it's a big thing like yeah yeah no i totally understand what you're what you're saying i'm picking up what you're putting down got it <laughs> <laughs> and uh th- this off season you're like a first time free agent so what what was it like picking and then you why did you pick dc united uh it, it was interesting from the perspective of like you have the ability to be a free agent yeah it's all free agency with stipulations, right? The league has all of its rules and all of its constrictions, and mm-hmm. the way it's operated has been so, like, controlled that mm-hmm. even having, quote-unquote, free agency or freedom is controlled freedom, right? And mm-hmm. the limited freedom as well, too. So it's the first couple years of the process, so not all organizations have figured it out. Neither have all the players figured it out, right? Mm-hmm. So... It was interesting in the, in the sense that you had 
the ability to choose where you want it to go, but let's say your free market value is still controlled because of the limited free agency ability. So that was that's a lot in terms of that. But in, in short, like it's nice to be able to get to negotiate with the idea that you have the ability to go somewhere that you choose, as opposed to just, hey, you're getting traded here, get up and leave. Right. So that was that was a positive. Um, that's what I liked about it. And uh, the reason why I chose DC United was I felt a great opportunity to to join an organization that I had played against a lot over the years. And I had seen the style that they play and how they approach the game and felt that my abilities would fit well. I know that Ben has been with the organization for a long time, so I knew that he would be familiar with me and what I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also saw that, you know, they made Audi Field as the new stadium and facility. And, you know, the organization is kind of going through a transitional phase where it's kind of wanting to make that leap to what I call MLS 3.0, you know, mm-hmm. like the league growing and different teams grow at different rates. And I think DC is at that point where it's wanting to make that leap into being, you know, being what it was considered in the past. And I, you know, I looked at that as an opportunity to be a part of that and hopefully contribute in a manner that creates more opportunity for me in the future. Yeah, definitely. Actually, that it's perfect to my uh, question right now. Is what has most changed with the MLS since you entered it in two thousand nine? Oh, um, what has most changed in the MLS? From which perspective? I mean, just like the gr- I mean, even like you said, like San Jose at first, like the locker rooms are like probably not up to standards. So now, like everything, like even you're just mentioning, just like different teams are like leveling up. Like it seems like consistently grow. It seems like it seems oh, like okay. every you know what I mean? Like, it seems like everywhere you've gone, it keeps on getting bigger and better and bigger and better. Like the yeah, league itself. I think, I think the league is at a point now that organizations who want to nickel and dime and have the old MLS 1.0 mentality get exposed and aren't going to be successful. And that's a good thing. Because yeah. now it's forcing all teams to get to a level of professionalism that's in alignment with the goals that Don Garber has said he wants to see the MLS become, mm-hmm. right? That, what, a top destination league, I forget by what year, like top three league or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, in order to achieve that, the level of facility and the level of professionalism and the level of pay and the level of attention on the league needs mm-hmm. to reflect that. And the only way that that happens is if ownership and the league itself is making investments from the bottom up not just from the top down, which is kind of what the model was before. You know? mm-hmm. So to that point, having a stadium at like a Buckshaw Stadium, though, was great when we started out in 2009, that shouldn't be even considered okay, right? Like that's not for the level that MLS wants to be at and where the league is at now. And I think there's still that, that old mentality, the old mindset is still attached to the league that I think is slowing down its growth and progress though it has made a lot of progress up to this point. I think um, a big change that I've seen is in the organization of the union and the understanding of the player pool to better organize and mm-hmm. communicate and understand our position yeah. in the process of the growth of the league. I think, what else has changed? I think the overall soccer IQ and tactics and philosophies of the game has completely changed. Mm-hmm. Like, the mindset and the idea of what it took to win in the MLS in 2009 
is completely different than the, the ideas and mindset of what the league believes is necessary to win um, today. So it's been interesting to see that transition. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even just as a follower of sports in general, I just seen an increasing amount of just MLS stuff just on TV itself. Like I'm like 2009, I don't really remember seeing any MLS stuff, but now I think it's all over the place and I think it's good. And all like the new expansion teams and a lot of crazy fans and all that good stuff. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think that's what's been awesome. Like the, the loyalty of the fans across the league is really cool. And mm-hmm. like, you know, a big reason why I started my YouTube channel and the Quincy time stuff was in Chicago. Cause it was just like, an opportunity to like engage with the fans outside of soccer and kind of just also create a connection between the fans and my teammates who I thought were just funny people and good guys and just like characters that no one ever got a chance to know. And I got to have to deal with them every day and uh, create a bond that's bigger than just like, Hey, your job is to go out there and you know score a goal on the weekend. And if you don't, you're a terrible person and you miss that goal on purpose and you suck. <laughs> You know, it's, it's hard to say that to someone that, you know, you participated in a giveaway and had a good time and watched some good content and learned about that person's story. You know, you're going to be more understanding, but also you're going to be more bought into the brand. You're going to be more bought into the team and you're going to help create a culture that, that creates a winning mentality. So. Yeah, definitely. Now, jumping into your entrepreneurial stuff, I know you've been at it since a young age. So, you want to just give me just like a brief summary of like stuff you're working on? I know, you, like the soccer stuff, and then I know you go like live every week. I know you got a marketing company too, right? Yeah. yeah. So maybe I'll give that. So I've always been kind of a serial entrepreneur from a young age, mm-hmm. buying and selling anything and everything I could from a young age of like four years old mm-hmm. on. I just like the idea of like transactions and learning how people think and why they make the decisions that they do. And business is a great vehicle and entrepreneurship is a great vehicle to, to better understand other people, mm-hmm. which has always been my goal. Fast forward through kind of, you know, high school, college and uh, pro really when I went pro, we've touched on it a bit. I wasn't a highly talented person. I haven't been someone that like the league is looking to promote and put marketing dollars and stuff behind. But I realized that marketability, especially with where the league was at in 2009 was extremely important and something that you needed to be able to showcase the league, that you provide value beyond on the field. You know, if you're thinking about 2012, 13, 14, 15, the league was getting big-name players and bringing them over so they could bring attention to our league. They weren't necessarily really focused on the quality and the level of play on the field. Not to say that that wasn't something that they cared about. It just wasn't as high a priority as it was getting big-name players over here. Right. Mm-hmm. Point to that would be like getting Beckham over here, doing that big deal, big Adidas deal. I think it's like two hundred fifty million dollars plus. You could mm-hmm. franchise a future club at a buy-in of I think it was like twenty-five million or maybe it's thirty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that was the league's focus at that time. And when I was there and I was looking at it, I was going, okay, even if I'm doing well on the field, which I am, like statistics-wise, like per minute, I I don't get a lot of minutes in time, but. When I do play, I do well. So, for instance, I think 2014, I got like 299 minutes, but I had four goals in the 299 minutes. So, like, my goals per minute ratio was very good. And then I had, like, a penalty or two drawn as well, too. But I realized, okay, that's not getting me more play time, and that's not getting me visibility or increasing my value in the league. I need to do something beyond that that sets myself apart. That's really where I was going, like, okay, I need to start my marketing company. And through that, 
I started understanding paid advertising, affiliate marketing, email marketing, website creation, video editing, mm-hmm. music production, like literally everything. Yeah, anything yeah. and everything it takes to build a sustain an online business. And I basically was going, okay, all right, I'm a marketing and marketing agency and law firm, and my first client is me, Quincy Maricois, right? It's a professional soccer player who's giving yeah. this agent, who is Quincy, the ability to build and grow the brand along with my wife, Serena. So the two of us built the agency, and I was the first client. And with that, we built Perfect Soccer, which is the e-commerce brand. We built Leverage Investment Group, which is the financial literacy um, financial literacy website and budgeting website, as well as basically our uh, investment fund for cryptocurrency, stock market, options trading, stocks and bonds. And then brand building in our e-commerce side, and then our Amazon and then our YouTube and video editing and content creation. So with the start and launch of Quincy Time while I was with Chicago, building that YouTube series and that show was the way in which I really learned and understood the marketing side of it and how that plays a huge role in your ability to get on the field and the following and fan base that you build outside of that. And going through that process and trying different things and different ideas we would adjust and build the company to reflect that. So we now are at a point where Perfect Soccer alone has 13 employees and then 13 full-time employees and you know anywhere from three to seven people who work part-time or on contract as needed. Yeah. And um, we've built a network of basically an entire sports marketing agency that can facilitate every step of the process for players from six years old all the way up to 20 or up to 36 during career and post-career, because these were all the things that I needed mm-hmm. for myself, and I didn't have access to, and I didn't have a team of individuals doing that for me. I just had to work to build it for myself and invest in building my team and figure out how to make it work and bring it all together, um, because if I didn't, like I said earlier, adapt or die. Like, if I didn't do this, I, I still wouldn't be here. So, uh, like I said, I, would, um, I was lucky once in when you know that last game of my last tournament Mm -hmm. and after that happened i said okay i won't i won't be lucky again this is going to be by design i'm going to figure out how this works and i'm going to create a process that can be duplicated by others so they can overcome the obstacles and the roadblocks that i ran into along the way that i personally feel didn't need to be there or were put or were intentionally put there sabotage others or take advantage of others i've seen so many people take advantage of young soccer players because they just only focus on and know soccer and and they're vulnerable because of that and there's a lot of there's a lot of good people but there's a lot of people who don't have players best interest in mind and my goal has basically just been to learn how they're taking advantage of players and then create systems and put in place processes so that they can never do that again yeah definitely that's that's some good stuff right there are you ready for some uh, fun questions? They're going to go from average to savage. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, what do you like to do in your free time? I like to work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of, I kind of figured that was yeah, going to be the I like, yeah, I, yeah, I like to work because I, I define work as life because I think yeah. – I define work as life because I think life is work, but I define life as passion because I want my life to be what I'm passionate about. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So if I'm passionate about what I'm doing, that's my life, and my life is going to be work, so I enjoy working on the things that I work on. And what I like working on is creating creating ways for the people around me to reach their fullest potential. That's really what I enjoy doing. 
Gotcha, gotcha. What about what are three jerseys that you don't own that you want? Three jerseys I don't own that I want. That's a good. That's a really good question. The problem is I don't want anybody's jerseys, but I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, I've got all the people's jerseys that I want. Uh, all right. Like it's usually like my teammates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's usually my teammates. Oh, I, I, I want I want Danny Husen's jersey this Saturday in the game because we play San Jose. I want I want Baca's jersey as well too. I'm just gonna take all of my old teammates' jerseys this weekend. I'm just gonna <laughs> tell them all to give them to me. <laughs> all right, I'll take it. And last one: Is it harder to like play and train for soccer, or is it harder to be an entrepreneur? It's way harder to train and play for soccer. All right. I asked the NFL player that, and he said entrepreneurship was harder. Uh, no, I guess entrepreneurship <laughs> comes naturally to me. Yeah. Um, I guess playing professional soccer the way I've chosen to play professional yeah, soccer yeah, yeah, yeah. from young, from you know, the time I went pro. If I approach soccer the way that I feel like a lot of my teammates did, entrepreneur would definitely be way harder. Yeah. But I had to develop the mental strength league to make this work at the pro level. So now, like taking these ideas from here and implementing them into my business and stuff, that's like my break. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah definitely. Yeah the, yeah, the things I don't like about pro soccer, the, the, the ideas that I don't like, the philosophies I don't like, I create my own ideas and philosophies that I think will be better, and I implement them in my business. So my business is actually like my escape from the, the things that aren't within my control mm-hmm. in professional sports. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, and could you let the people know where they can find you on social media and uh, plug in some of your websites? Yeah, um, people can... Join my newsletter at quincymariqua.com, so Q-U-I-N-C-Y-A-M-A-R-I-K-W-A.com. If you're uh, interested in kind of uh, my financial literacy newsletter and building your own business or starting your own business and marketability and all that, you can go to leverageinvestmentgroup.com. If you will need done-for-you services and uh, representation or marketing agency to help you grow and sustain your brand, you can go to evolve.online, E-V-L-V.online. And uh, most people are probably following for the soccer side of stuff, so definitely head to perfectsoccerskills.com to get anything and everything you need. Perfect Soccer is a platform to connect with and learn from pro soccer players, and you can join me every Thursday at 6 p.m. PST going live on the Perfect Soccer Instagram account, at perfect underscore soccer, discussing the MSL, Mental Strength League, on the hashtag AskASoccerPro show where uh, I go live every week and uh, break down the ideas and philosophies of everything that I have been working on and developing over the course of my now 11-year professional career and break them down into like step-by-step processes that you can apply to hopefully create your perfect life and uh, reach whatever level or goals on and off the field you're wanting to achieve. We're, we're building a, a dope community. We've got a lot of people who join us, and uh, there's a lot of great stories that are coming out of it. So, love to see you guys join me over there. Yep, I appreciate it again, and uh, best of luck the rest of the season. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it.